This morning we are going to be in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, from verse 1 to 8. I know that you guys are in a series called Distinct, um, and I see this as fitting into that series. It's not a book in James, um, it's not a chapter in the book of James, um, but I do believe that what God is going to speak this morning um, fits in and will serve by his grace what he's been doing in this series overall. Um, and the headline of it, I'll get to the title um, as we go on, but the headline of this is that God is doing something and he's calling forth a people who will be set apart to him who will be distinct and there is real joy to that real joy in partnering with the purposes of God in the here and now but there is also a real discomfort to it a real discomfort to the distinction that God is calling us to and yet there is grace available to us and so we want to draw from the grace that God gives Daniel chapter 1 from verse 1 to 8. And I read, when I finish reading, I'd love if you could join me in the response, thanks be to God. So I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will say, wonderful. Daniel chapter 1 from verse 1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the courts of the king. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel, someone say, but Daniel. Let's try that again, but Daniel. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. This is the word of the Lord. Let's join for a word of prayer. King of glory, we honor your presence in this place. Thank you, mighty God, that you are here with us. Thank you, Father and Son, that you have sent to us the Spirit, not just to be present in this room with us, but to be resident in us. Spirit of God, we honor you here, and we ask that you would open up the word to us, 
We honor you as the author of the scriptures, and we ask that you would speak them, not just to our minds, but into the core of our beings as we gather this morning. Lord, would we leave this place not with more information about your kingdom, but with more passion for your kingdom. Fill us up, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, as has been mentioned, I work for the Evangelical Alliance in my church. I haven't always worked for the Evangelical Alliance, however. I moved to the UK five years ago to do the bar, to study as the bar. Um, and so as I stand before you, I have not one, not two, but three law degrees. My first law degree is a Bachelor of Civil Law. My second degree is a master's in human rights and criminal justice. My third degree was the degree that I was awarded when I was called to the bar, and that's a degree of barrister at law. One me, three degrees. Now, I promise you that I don't drop that into every conversation. I promise you that's not my introductory gambit everywhere that I go. But usually what happens when I share that is that there is an impression that is created in the audience or the person I'm interacting with and that's this is a reasonably intelligent young woman. And I must confess most of the time I am inclined to agree that I am a reasonably intelligent young woman. But people of God there are other times Allow me to share with you about one of those other times. It's the morning of the 2nd of April, 2022. I'm at my home in Mile End in East London, and I get a phone call from a number that I don't recognize. I don't usually pick up phone calls on Saturday. It's usually a day for me of rest and worship in the presence of God. But I see this number, I don't recognize it, and I Google it, because I'm savvy like that. I Google the number, and I see that it's a number of one of my banks one of my banks of which I have a personal account in. And so I'm like, why is my bank, why is my bank calling me? This is kind of important. I might break my rule of Saturday, no calls to check in what's happening with the bank. And then, but the, I try and ring the number and it doesn't go through. So I'm like, oh Lord, would you let them ring me back? Now the Lord answers prayer. They ring me back again and they ask me if I've just taken out a direct debit in Bristol. Now, if you hear what I said earlier, I said I'm very much at home in East London. So I'm very much not the one who's just taken out an 160 pound direct debit in Bristol. What's going on? And as we go on and go on in the conversation, it becomes clear, people of God, that I have been scammed with my three law degrees. I have been scammed. What had happened was earlier in the week, I got a message from the Royal Mail advising me to pay some money to sort out a redelivery. Now, I hadn't, I hadn't um, booked to have anything come in, but I was off my guard because the week before I had received a surprise delivery from a friend. And so I thought, this is my season. I'm getting another surprise delivery from a friend. And like, I live in the city of London. I've got places to be and people to see. So I'm like, you know what? I get this message and I'm somewhat distracted. I just follow the link, pay the money. It's a nominal fee, £1.45. And I move on with my day. And I have in the back of my mind, at one point, I'm going to get a delivery. Well, I didn't get a delivery. What I got was a scam. And so this realization is hitting me and I'm hit by panic. 
I'm hit by panic because I have voluntarily given my details over to these malicious people who are trying to get my money out of me. But I am simultaneously hit by panic and relief because I have this lovely man on the phone who is trying to calm me down, telling me this stuff happens all the time. He's trying to reassure me and show me the pathway out of this situation that I've walked myself into. So I am panicking, but I'm also like, thank you, Lord, for this guy on the phone. So we stay on the phone and he talks me through the steps for sorting out my situation, for sorting out recovery of my account. So I'll share them with you. He asks me about any other accounts that I have and we get onto my savings account. As you may have gathered this so far, I'm a professional Christian, if such a thing is possible. So I praise the Lord that all my needs are catered to, but I don't have like stacks of money somewhere. My savings account is like all the money that I have in the world, all the physical money I have in the world is in that savings account. So we get to that savings account and he says, well, you've given your details to these people and it will be, po it will be possible for them to access your savings account. It could be. So what we have to do, we have to secure the savings account, super priority. So what we're gonna do is, listen carefully, what we're gonna do is we are going to create a new account for you on our end, this is what he says. And then we're going to invite you to transfer money from your savings account. Oh, okay. Transfer money from your savings account into this new super secure account that we are creating for you for everything to be all right. Now, I'm guessing that people here, some people here have studied some Shakespeare at school. I don't know what your play was. My play was Hamlet. And in Hamlet, Shakespeare uses this device, and he uses it in a number of his plays called A Play Within a Play. In Hamlet, there's a play within a play. Well, people of God, this wasn't quite a play within a play. It was a scam within a scam. Now, what happened was that in that moment, as he shared this plan of recovery for me, it was like scales fell off of my eyes. And I heard warning sirens go off in my mind. And I was like, watch out, watch out. Now, praise God, I respond, I heeded the call of the sirens. I dropped the phone. I tried to make sure if this advice was legit, it plainly isn't. And praise God, I was able to shut it in its tracks and didn't give him all of my money. Super, super relieved that that didn't happen. Why do I share this with you? What does this have to do with anything? Well, people of God, just as I experienced on that morning in my flat in Mile End, you and I are alive in a time in history where there is more to reality than what meets the eye. We are alive in a time in history where if you navigate reality by your senses alone, by your natural senses alone, you'll be in for a wild ride. Because in our day and time, darkness masquerades as light. And so the charge of the spirit to us, as it was in that moment when the warning lights went off, is for us as his church to watch out. Because do you know what's worse? Do you know what's worse than experiencing a robbery at gunpoint? Do you know what's worse than going away on holiday and finding that your home has been burgled? What's worse than it is using your own hands to take your money 
and to give it over to your enemy. That's worse. And the spirit is coming to intercept the ploys of the evil one and get us as his church to stay alert to his purposes and to be wary of the devices of the evil one. And so the title of this talk is Watch Out. Now let's return to our passage. As we come to Daniel chapter 1, we find the Babylonians in charge. And if I were to use three words to summarize the context that we are greeted with in Daniel chapter 1, it would be these words. Number one, destruction. Number two, seduction. Number three, assimilation. Destruction seduction, assimilation. Number one, destruction. Daniel and his friends, the captives of Judah, have experienced the destruction of everything that they have known as home. Everything that governed their lives as the people of God in the land that they had been in, the land of Israel and the land of Judah, all of it has been obliterated by this Babylonian force. They have been forcibly removed from the only home that they have known, from the center of the worship of the people of God in the city of Jerusalem. It has been razed to the ground and they have been carted off into a whole new world. Number one, destruction. Not only have they experienced the destruction of all they have known. They have been invited into a new environment where there is the lure of a new way of life. Babylon has destroyed all that they took for granted at home, but it also comes to them offering a different way to be. It offers them different gods to worship. It offers them new names. It offers them this whole re-education of their minds and their understanding of reality. Seduction. And the point of this seduction is not just exchange. The point of this is assimilation. Babylon doesn't just want to get around the captives of Judah. Babylon wants to get inside them. They are offered a program of re-education of their minds and a re-education of their palates, of their appetites. It goes right down to the food that they eat because Babylon is on a mission. Now, what does that have to do with you and I in this tally-ho complex this morning? Well, even if Birmingham has been your home from day one, if you are a follower of Jesus in this context, and more broadly than just Birmingham, in the West, you are in exile. Like the captives of Judah, you are in exile. And what does that mean? Number one, it means that in our context, we know the destruction and the purported destruction of some of the Christian heritage of this nation, of the Moors that have governed our thinking over generations. And it's not to say that this is or has been a Christian nation in that sense. I don't really buy into that rhetoric, but this has been a nation that has known the governance of biblical principles that has been shaped and influenced by biblical truth, where Christian people have lived the gospel in this land and seen it bring transformation. And yet increasingly, we are being told that that is of the past and has nothing to do with the future of this nation. Destruction. 
But not only have we been told that the Christian God, the God of the Bible, is a relic of the past, we are being offered new gods. We are being sold a new vision, new understandings of what it is to be human being, what it is to seek a flourishing life, what it is to live well. We are getting new ideas around this given to us all the time. Where this used to be a nation that respected principles of rest and worship and that sought to incorporate this into the fabric of our shared lives. More and more we are told if you don't go out and be productive and accumulate then what will happen for your life? You don't have time for rest and worship and miss the cost of living crisis. You need to go out and fend for yourself and accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. Be productive, be productive, be productive. We're being sold new stories about what it is to be a human being. It is to to be fully alive, new visions of what it is to flourish as a man or a woman. Those are seen, even those terms are contested in our day and time. What it is to know what it is to be a sexual being is again and again defined in terms that are frankly in straight opposition to anything that you find in the scriptures. We are being sold a new script on what it is to be fully alive. And make no mistake about it, these are sensitive issues. And they're not just issues, they relate to people. And we as the people of God ought to be sensitive to that and grapple with it. But best believe, this is not just about the church changing teaching on one or two uncomfortable issues to fit in with the times and to help us share the good news of Jesus with more and more people. No, this is, determined by the evil one and his minions, a campaign of total assimilation. It's not about one or two teachings in isolation. It is about total assimilation into the ways of Babylon. And we need to be aware of this and also track with what the Spirit is speaking to his church. And we see some of this in the example of Daniel and his friends in this passage. And one of the first things that we see in this passage, and it makes me uncomfortable, but it's there. So we ought to acknowledge it. We see this passage start off with a number of compromises. Compromise after compromise after compromise. The first one is that the captives are taken to Babylon. Now, they don't have buckets of choice in this scenario, but there would have been people who would have tried to run away. Some people would have killed themselves rather than submit to exile. And Daniel and his friends submit to this process. We see that they are enrolled in a campaign of new education and they submit to that. They're even given new names which speak to new gods and they acquiesce to that. We see a number of compromises in this passage, but we also arrive at verse eight. And in verse eight, we see that Daniel in particular says, yes, Babylon, you've gone this far, but Babylon, from this point, you go no further. Yes, this far, but in verse eight, there is a resolve that, kicks in. See, there's a number of different ways that Daniel and his friends could inhabit this moment. Number one is they could inhabit it as hostages. 
they have been forcibly taken against their will. They find themselves in this new environment. And so they're just going to begrudge it and go along with the flow because they don't really have any agency and it is what it is. But they don't really care about Babylon. Bab whatever happens at Babylon is not their business. They're just here because they don't want to be. And you and I can inhabit this time of history and say the world around us has changed and is continuing to change. We didn't vote for any of this and so we're just going to watch it around us. That's one posture. It's not the posture that they take. Another posture is that of being visitors. That this stuff is happening around us. Yes, we are somewhat subject to these circumstances and we'll just try and get by as well as possible, as calmly as possible. Keep our heads down, attend to our jobs, try and attend to our families, try and make as much of a life for ourselves as possible in this new terrain. But we're just strangers passing through and it is what it is. One day we'll be done, one day we'll leave. Neither the posture of being hostages or visitors is it what we find in this passage, however. We find Daniel and his friends take on the stance of ambassadors in Babylon. And that means that they are faithfully present in Babylon, but they are also faithfully distinct to Babylon. They are faithfully present. They take hold of the opportunities that are given to them in this new land. They engage, they work, they commit themselves to it. And we see this straight through verses 1 to 7. But they are also faithfully distinct. They are marked by the presence of God and the person of Yahweh, even in the heart of paganism, even in the heart of the Babylonian empire. The captives of Judah are consecrated to the living God. And that is the call of the spirit to us as his church in this time to be faithfully present in the communities that he has set us in, in the families he has set us in, in the jobs that he has set us in, but also to track with the spirit and know what it is to be faithfully distinct. Distinct in order that we might show forth the kingdom that we know as home in this new environment. We are not just being carried along by the waves of circumstance. No, Daniel and his friends latch onto the purposes of the eternal God, even as they know the despair of the destruction of what they've held onto for decades. They hold on to the reality of the living God. How do they do that? How do they do that? Three points. The first one we have looked at already somewhat. They embrace the situation. They embrace the situation that God has set them into. And I believe as the church of God and for you as Riverside Church this morning, the Lord is telling you, telling us to embrace our situation. That we are not meant to hanker after the good old days of church and faith. We can take inspiration from them, but the Lord has moved us into a new environment, a new surrounding. And yes, there's some that's there are things that have happened around us that are circumstantial, but what it is to be filled by the Spirit of God is to trust in the sovereignty of God, even amidst the varying circumstances. 
And there is a wisdom and a sensitivity to how we do this. It doesn't mean that we believe that God has caused all the bad things that we have seen or that we attribute things directly to God in specific senses. What it does mean, however, is that overall, we know that all of our lives, all of history is gathered within the purposes of our good God. And so we know grace in him to embrace the situation that we are in. As, as part of my work in the advocacy team of the EA, not trying to get back power for the church. No, what we're trying to do is have the church be faithful in the commission that's on her. This isn't about empire. This is about kingdom. And this kingdom runs on service. It runs on being devoid of power in the eyes of the world, but holding on to the real power that comes from consecration to the living God. It looks like making the most of the connections that we have and using them, and yet not fighting against circumstances in ways that are fueled by fear and a mistrust of God. They embrace the situation, and that's the call upon us, to embrace the situation that we are in. Number two, they embrace community. We see this a bit um, in this snippet in Daniel, but we see it far more as the story goes on. For the captives of Judah to be ambassadors of the kingdom, they need each other. They need each other. It's not an added extra. It's not optional. They will not be able to sustain the life of the kingdom of God in the heart of paganism without the witness of each other. And so I want to encourage you, so encouraged to see so many of you out here this morning, so encouraged by those of you who are participating online. Let's make sure that we are truly participating in what God is doing in this assembly. Let's bring ourselves to it. Let's share of our resources, our time, our stories, and being part of what God is doing here because we need each other. But also, Babylon needs us. Finally, they embrace consecration. And what this looks like for them is, again, this concept of being faithfully present and yet faithfully distinct. You see, it would be possible for them to navigate Babylon and say, in order for this to work, we just need to be wary of contamination. We just need to stay away from anything that might contaminate us so that we can have our own community, have our own thing, and survive the exile. And we do see that there's a wariness against contamination here. Daniel is resolving in his heart not to be contaminated, not to be defiled by the king's food. But best believe this isn't just to assure his own comfort with his friends and, this com and his community. This is consecration for the sake of being contagious, not just being wary of contamination, but so hosting the presence and the power of God that they might rock the empire through their faithfulness to the God of Israel from right within it. And so from these young men and their simple steps in the quiet place to join together and to be governed by the rhythms of worship of the people of God, even even in this strange environment, the kings of Babylon attest to the supremacy of the living God. Witness to the living God in the heart of the empire. 
not from running away from consecration, not by seeking just to blend in for the sake of convenience or misguided understandings of what it is that will lead to transformation in our day and time. No, these guys experience the pinch of being foreigners. They experience the pinch of being displaced, of being disempowered in the eyes of the world. And yet they latch on to this and and this reality that one with God is the majority, that God can honor faithfulness and that the power of faithfulness, even in the heart of empire, can unlock God's kingdom purposes like we have never seen. I believe God is preparing his church for something significant in these days. I believe and trust and pray towards us seeing a move of God in this land. And I believe the Lord is stirring up in his church this call to faithful presence and faithful distinction. That we would be ambassadors who embrace the environment that the Lord has set us in. And yet who are always super clear on the mission. We have a mission. We are sent ones. And so my prayer for you, Riverside Church, is that you would embrace what it is to be on mission with God in this place in 2023 and beyond. I honor the work of God in this community and what you have done to embrace this call. And I am here to encourage you to stand firm, to be faithful to the God of the Bible, to his revelation of himself in Jesus to hold on to this for dear life, knowing that there is an enemy that is seeking to seduce and allure our treasure out of our hands. And it is up to us to heed the warning call of the spirit to rise up, not just for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of generations to come that they might know and get to experience and be transformed by the power of the resurrected Jesus.